AMU. American Military University is proud to present the following podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Nicole Drumhiller. I am the Program Director for Intelligence Studies with American Military University. And I am here with Colonel Chris Costa, the Executive Director of the International Spy Museum. Good afternoon. My name is Chris Costa. I'm currently the Executive Director of the International Spy Museum. I spent 25 years in the United States Army. I was a career intelligence officer. I should mention that I started out as an infantryman, but uh, shortly after my career began, I uh, became an intelligence officer. I was trained in human, human intelligence, counterintelligence, and I spent the bulk of my career supporting special operations. So a very unique career, a very lucky career. I was uh, extraordinarily happy with uh, the experiences that I had. And uh, I retired from the Army in 2009 as a task force commander at Special Operations Command Central, retired as a full colonel. And then I spent from 2009 until uh, this past January serving as a civil servant with the Department of Defense. I essentially went from practitioner to a policymaker. My last job in the U.S. government was as the special assistant to the President of the United States for counterterrorism. And and the senior director for counterterrorism at the National Security Council. Uh, so that's how I finished my career, and, and now I'm lucky enough to be able to inform the public in a responsible way about uh, the intelligence community and internationally talk about intelligence more generally. Colonel, one of my first questions for you is, I've heard a little bit about you. When you were a student, I understand that like many of our current students, including our doctoral students, you had a pretty demanding full-time job as well. Can you talk about where you draw your moral support from to help you see your program through until the end? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's uh, pretty straightforward to answer. I drew all my moral support really from my family. They were very supportive. That helped tremendously. Not just my family, but also my chain of command. I was in the military at the time. They were very supportive. I was excited about studying with AMU, and I would share my excitement with my uh, leadership, and I would study very interesting intelligence activities in history, and I'd be able to share that. And I was excited. They were supportive. My family was always there. Uh, my wife knew that when I wasn't at a soccer game, a football game, uh, you name it, a paintball field, I was reading. And she was supportive of that, and that helped tremendously. Uh, so you said that there was a particularly rough time where your family was having some challenges. Well, my family was having challenges because I had just spent almost five years in a master's program, and then 9-11 happened. Of course, 9-11 changed a lot for a lot of people. And uh, for me, I was completely distracted, and uh, I wasn't going to be deploying right away, which was disappointing to me, and I was having a tough time reconciling that. I wanted to deploy, and I was in a command at the time. And uh, I had to grow up and realize that, no, you weren't going to deploy, so you had to be the best battalion commander, and you had to focus on uh, on the job at hand that the Army was asking you to do. So at the same time, I had decided one night that uh, I was going to announce to my family that I was not going to finish my master's degree. I had one more class, but I just didn't have time. This had gone on for five years, and it was really tough, but I cannot balance command with the distraction of 9-11 with 
studies in my family all of them just about revolted and said dad you need to finish you can't quit we've been a part of this for the last five years you need to continue your studies and judging by their reaction uh, I realized that yes you know they were right there was a lot of logic in what they were going to say and that became an absolute life-changing decision to take that last class on terrorism because pre-9-11 there wasn't good terrorism courses. It was mostly sensationalized, and I knew that. So I wasn't really interested in taking my last class on terrorism until 9-11 happened. So I decided I would study terrorism. And uh, what a great decision that was, because a few things happened. One, it contextualized everything that had just happened. And then based on the learning by AMU, based on that one single course, I was asked to start teaching at night while I was a commander. So I got more than I bargained for. Not only did I have uh, to finish my master's degree, but I was asked to teach a class on terrorism. And the impetus for that was that course on terrorism with AMU. So I studied, I finished my degree, but then that started my life uh, in teaching at night terrorism curriculums in two or three different colleges. And I'll do that f for as long as I can. I'll try to find those schools that are interested in me teaching, and I'll take all of that learning and I'll be able to share it. But AMU, that was a life-changing experience, taking that one course on terrorism that contextualized everything that I needed to know at the time. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. And it, it, it's also very revealing how, the importance of family and remembering that it's not it's not just about you. It's about your family's experience. And they were really with you the entire time through your program. Well, if you could get the mental image of me sitting at dinner in uniform, because in recruiting command, you're always in uniform, sitting at the table and being rebuked by two kids that were in high school and a mom and then realizing, yeah, you taught your kids not to quit and you're ready to quit. And you're feeling a little sorry for yourself because you're trying to balance all of these competing demands. But what a game changer that was. What an amazing support group. That's right. When you took on a course that was outside of your traditional scope of knowledge, you did a lot of self-learning to bring yourself up to speed. Can you talk about some of those experiences and the strategies that you employed to accomplish this? Yeah, it was a pretty straightforward strategy. It was a trick. I wanted to collect books on intelligence. So I would take a course, and if I was unfamiliar with the course content, for example, intelligence and drug enforcement or some variation of that, I didn't know much about that. That was not my field of work, if you will. So what I did is use that as an opportunity to go out and scour libraries and use bookstores and build a library. And that was fun for me to do. And it was like detective work, piecing it together, collecting the books, and then expanding my knowledge and all doing that while studying with AMU. Yeah, I think that this is something that's particularly important for people that might be interested in enrolling in our programs that may have worked in the field, but might not have come with a requisite traditional educational background. Um, additionally, it's equally important for people looking for ways to keep their heads in the game uh, if they need to take lengthy breaks between their education programs. So that's something that I think is um, good to, for other people yeah, to hear as well. Yeah, that's a very fair point, and it's true. The bottom line is I had a competitive advantage by studying as I said, narrow areas, writing monographs on obscure topics in intelligence and ancient history, and then 
making a connection to my current work and then sharing that with my leadership. It uh, was an opportunity really to explore, and my instructors were always very flexible with what I wanted to do so I could tie it to my work to the best of my ability. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. After the break, Colonel Chris Costa is going to tell us about the gaps in the current body of knowledge in intelligence studies. The national security field needs skilled people capable of analyzing data and converting it into meaningful insights for national decision makers and private companies. American Military University offers bachelor's and master's degrees to equip intelligence community professionals with the knowledge they need. Learn from leaders in the intelligence community. Apply now at amuonline.com. Welcome back. So as a professional in the field, what do you see as some clear gaps in our current body of knowledge? So this can be anything that you think of that's a particularly hot area right now that's really in need of greater research and greater academic research. Given that we've now got two doctoral programs in global security and intelligence studies, where do you think our students can make the biggest impact with their research? Well, first of all, I think it's tremendous that you have a doctoral program, and I'm excited about that for you. But to answer your question more specifically, the obvious answer would be from an intelligence professional that we have to explore cyber. Now that, fortunately, I am not pursuing my master's any longer because cyber would be a challenge for me because I grew up in a whole different world. But I think that is fertile territory to study, to explore, to run with, and it's, it's open terrain. But that said, I want to I go back to some contemporaneous issues that I think are worthy of exploration. Even though it's happening now, I think there's some historical context. The politicization of intelligence. Michael Hayden, General Hayden, of course, has just written a book called The Assault on Intelligence, where uh, he talks about the post-truth world, I believe. Not just the notion of politicization, but how do policymakers, how do they handle intelligence? And then the flip side is what about the idea that former intelligence professionals are speaking out in a big way now, like they never have before. So I think that's worthy of some exploration and some contextualizing, I believe. I think that's worthy of greater study, and I'm very concerned with that. And um, the last piece is to take what's happening again currently with the Russians, for example, quote, active measures, unquote, right? The idea of covert action, the idea of disrupting an electoral process of a democratic country, tie that back into the history of the Soviet Union to the uh, current FSB, the Russian Intelligence Services, and contextualize that and explore that. I think that needs further study. We have to frequently go back, I think, and look at uh, our history to understand what's currently happening. And, and lastly, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about counterterrorism, because uh, I need some contextualization of, of my experience just coming out of the White House, the idea of being a policymaker and working counterterrorism policy and strategy issues. I really want more exploration of what has happened since 9-11 to the IC as a result of our tremendous focus on counterterrorism. Has it disrupted the IC process to a point where we're tilted too much toward counterterrorism? I don't think so. And then the national security strategy actually gets to that, and we're trying to rebalance that. But I think that's worthy of some serious examination going forward. So those are some examples of what I think are worth studying. 
So when it comes to those kinds of research endeavors, where do you see the lines when it comes to how we can work better, how academia can reach across the lines and work a little bit better with practitioners and vice versa? Have you ever thought about some of the different ways that we can work together uh, more effectively or if there's gaps in knowledge uh, between the two that we've thought about? Well, I think your university is linked to the international community, which is inspired. And that's consistent with what the American intelligence community tries to achieve, and that is global partnerships. I was at the British Embassy last night, for example, and I saw some of my former partners. Those relationships were established in a tough policy environment, but it was established because we can't go at it alone. So the idea of understanding how other nations think about security, I want to know their perspectives. And I think I did that very well last year, but that's something that your university is doing so well, and that's worthy of continued work, I think. Yeah, no, and that actually hits on my final question for you, which is that one of the new projects that we have been working on Mm -hmm. at APUS is a consortium called the Intel Hub, where we have university partners at the University of Leicester in the UK and at Ray Juan Carlos University in Spain. So what kinds of value do you think that these international partnerships have in your mind when it comes to enhancing our current knowledge base and adding additional diversity of thought to the field of intelligence? Well, at the risk of being a little redundant, I would just reinforce again that I think that's inspired because the foreign partnerships are crucial. Understanding the diversity of thought, understanding how we're viewed, avoiding ethnocentrism, meaning we always look at things through our lens, through our upbringing. We absolutely have to be engaged with foreign partners, and it has to go much beyond the Five Eye community. They are tried and true partners. We have to make it broader. We have to make sure we understand other people's points of view. That's how we're going to be effective in the intelligence community. But similarly, academia should mimic that. And I will tell you that by me always seeking to publish articles when I was working in very sensitive organizations, always pressing the envelope, never crossing any lines, always being responsible. I learned that, you know, when I was studying with AMU, as I was writing my papers and getting them cleared to send to my professors. I think the idea of that academic approach and tying that to your professional work, that was so important. In some ways, I was a little bit ahead of our time. And the fact that I wasn't going to a brick-and-mortar school, that was unusual at the time, but really pioneering. And uh, I just think it made me much more open-minded, and it made me a much better policymaker, candidly, much more open to ideas. And last year, in the White House, I oftentimes reached out to academics. I reached out to academia because I don't have all the answers. And last week when we talked to uh, Nadia Shadlow, who was the principal author of the National Security Strategy, she reinforced the importance of reaching out to the community because we as practitioners didn't have all the answers. So I really think it's tremendous that you guys are really pioneering by uh, linking in a international consortium and tying them to the university system. Yeah, and I think the one thing that you just hit on that I kind of wanted to follow up on is that 
one of the challenges for many of our students is finding that balance in terms of what can they write their papers about when they do hold security clearances and it's finding that balance and it sounds like you were able to find that balance so what advice would you have to current students that are also looking to navigate those waters? So I, I really didn't have a tremendous problem in that sphere because I went only to open source sources. I shied away from anything that was contemporaneous that I was working on. And uh, of course, when you do something like intelligence and ancient history, not only was that exciting for me, but you're not going to get in a whole lot of trouble because uh, you're using, in the case of Dr. Rosemary Sheldon at the time, she required me relying on primary sources, which meant I spent a lot of time in the library before online libraries were available to us. So I did it the hard way. Well, thank you so much for that. I think that a lot of what you've covered is very beneficial to our current undergraduates and masters and doctoral students because these are different points that I like to try to bring up in conversations with them as well. So thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. For more information about our university's doctoral programs, visit us at amuonline.com slash doctoral-degrees. AMU, American Military University.